What's good, everybody? It's your man, Uncle Dub, back at you with another episode of the Sports Wagon Podcast, episode 52. Hope everyone's doing well tonight on this Tuesday. Hit me up on Twitter and Instagram. It's Uncle Dub, I-T-S-U-N-C-L-E underscore D-U-B. Going to run through a lot of things tonight. A little college basketball, a little bit of NFL with the Super Bowl coming up this week. Um, One big trade that occurred uh, last week or early this week. It's only Tuesday, but relatively recently. Um, And some notes from college football. So it was a big hire that happened last week that I missed. Oops. But uh, we'll go through it because it's actually pretty substantial. Spent a little bit of an episode kind of talking about this particular program. And they finally made a decision and actually happened a lot faster than I thought it would. Before we get into that, let's start with college basketball. And on the top of the list, first, we say a rest in peace to former Temple head coach John Chaney. Um, you know, I, growing up watching basketball in the 90s, you know, John Chaney to me was such a presence on the sideline at Temple. He was there for uh, 24 years um, at Temple, but he coached in the city of Philadelphia for over 40 years. So he coached at Simon Grass High School, he coached at Temple. He was head coach at Cheney State for 10 years. So he's, you know, his, his resume speaks for itself. So we'll go through that in just a moment. Um, but I learned a lot about John Chaney from the, um, the, uh, documentary I talk about a lot on the, I've talked about it a few times on this podcast called black magic. So, uh, if you ever have the opportunity to watch it, please take advantage and watch that documentary. It talks about the impact that HBCUs had on, uh, college basketball. So a lot of the great names that you're familiar with guys like Willis Reed, um, uh, Earl the Pearl, uh, John Chaney, a lot of these guys, they all went to HBCUs. And, and as we know, um, you know, HBCUs were formed during a time where we as black people could not go to predominantly white institutions. And these schools were hotbeds of great college basketball. So some great teams, great players, great coaches, um, emerged from these uh, programs. And John Chaney was a product of that. So he was born in Florida, but he moved to Philadelphia when he was 14 years old. He went back to Florida. He attended Bethune-Cookman College, where he played basketball. Then at, after graduation, he played professionally in the Eastern Basketball League. He played uh, in the league for 11 years. Uh, a knee injury in 1966 ended his career. And from there, he went to coaching. So there are clips of John Chaney in this documentary, you know, he's working with players on an outdoor court and he's kind of teaching them the ins and outs of the game. So, as I mentioned, he coached in the city of Philadelphia for over 40 years. Um, he became the head coach at Cheney State. Um, he won a national title on the D2 level in 1977-1978 season. That same season, he was the D2 coach of the year. Um, in 1982, he went to take the job at Temple, where I said he was there for 24 years. And in 24 years, he went to the Elite Eight five times, the NCAA tournament 17 times. Um, Overall, his career record, he was 741 and 312. He won 516 of those games at Temple. Um, He was the first black coach to reach the 700 win plateau. Temple played in the Atlantic 10. So in the Atlantic 10, he was five times the conference coach of the year. They won eight uh, regular season titles and six tournament titles under his 
uh, under his uh, guiding hand. Um, he was inducted into the Naismith Hall of Fame in 2001 and the College Basketball Hall of Fame in 2006. And he's a two-time winner of the Henry Ibo Award that is given to the best coach in college basketball. He won it in back-to-back in 87 and 88. The matchup zone, if you ever watched Temple basketball, the matchup zone was their signature. And they gave teams fits with this matchup zone. Um, they were statistically one of the best defensive teams in the country with this matchup zone. But the biggest thing that John Chaney did that he will be remembered for was his advocation for his players. He advocated for his players that he gave a lot of players, guys who weren't getting chances, guys who were right there in the city, guys they gave him chances to play college basketball and to attend college. So him and John Thompson were both coaches who advocated strongly against Proposition 48, that proposition that set minimum standards. Because, again, in many cases, these standards were against a lot of these players, that they wanted it to be more fair um, in how Prop- Proposition 48 was um was set down so it you know the way that they wanted to do prop 48 was it would um strongly work against black players um so it's interesting that i said john thompson because you know we just lost him recently and i was reminded of that from a tweet from j.a donde j.a donde a journalist a sports journalist and i quote the tweet Quote, we've lost John Thompson and John Chaney, Big John and Little John in the span of five months. In the 1980s and 1990s, there were no greater figures of sorry, fighters rather on behalf of black athletes and coaches. It hurts that both of their voices are permanently silenced End quote. So simply put, John Chaney basically put it this way. He and I'm paraphrasing. He basically said that it's all about kindness at the end of the day, it's all about being kind to people, being good to people and doing the right thing. And that's what he advocated for. That's what he taught his players. Um, there's the I, I was reading about his legacy and they were talking about those infamous uh, dawn practices that went on for three to four hours. But in those practices, it wasn't just about basketball as if as, as in coaching, you do a lot of work with young people. And when you work with young people, it's not about teaching them sport. The sport is there. They know how to play. It's just you're trying to make them better. But you're also working to make them better as people. And that's extremely important. And John Chaney, um, through the players that he coached and mentored, that he was like a father figure to, guys like Aaron McKee, who was the current coach at Temple, Mark Macon, Eddie Jones, those guys – they benefited greatly from his tutelage and he will be missed. So rest in peace to the great John Chaney. Um, So let's switch gears here over to college basketball. So college basketball is ramping up. It's getting crazy. Um, So first of all, let's look at the upsets that happened over the weekend on the men's sides, because there was a nice long list. Illinois took down Iowa. I mean, when you look at the big 10, the big 10 is, you know, the best conference right now. And there, there's uh, not a lot of separation between those teams, but Illinois and Iowa, Iowa, if I recall correctly, was the favorite to win the big 10 this year. And, you know, Iowa's taking some lumps this year. I mean, um, you know, Illinois beating them was, 
I would call it an upset based on ranking, but nevertheless, you know, still it shows you that the Big Ten is going to be a dogfight to win that conference. Virginia Tech, they beat UVA in the first meeting between these Commonwealth rivals. You know, Virginia, they're kind of going through these weird ebbs and flows with their defense. Their defense quite hasn't taken hold as, you know, we we know it. Um, and plus, Virginia Tech had, and I'm the name of the, the young man escapes me, but he's playing the post and he destroyed the post. They put three guys on him and he was just hitting shots. Virginia Tech couldn't miss from the three-point line. So again, there you have it. It was just a, a big win for Virginia Tech uh, in the ACC. Virginia, that was their first, uh, their first loss in several months. I think they had a 15-game conference winning streak. Um, since the end of last season. So, I mean, right now they're still in the driver's seat in the conference. They're seven and one. They got 12 more games to play. So the next 12 games for Virginia, you know, if they can, you know, rip off another seven, you know, if they can rip on another seven, go say, uh, let's see, 14 and one, let's say they get the game 16 and lose 14 and two, it, it's probably a done deal. I mean, it could happen or it could go the other direction. Nevertheless, the defending champs have a lot of work to do. Uh, Oklahoma beat Alabama. Florida beat West Virginia. Uh, Penn State, the big one over Wisconsin. Georgia Tech beat Florida State. And Purdue beat Minnesota. So the current rankings, the top four from last week remain unchanged. Gonzaga got 61 to 64 for first place votes. Baylor got three. Number three, Villanova. And number four, Michigan. Five and six swap places from last week. Houston is up to five. Texas is down to six. Seven through ten, Ohio State, Iowa, Oklahoma, and Alabama. Uh, to, uh, last night uh, in action, Texas Tech beat Oklahoma 57-52. Oklahoma currently is third in the Big 12. Texas Tech is currently fifth. A game between the top two teams in the Big 12 is currently ongoing with 12 minutes left in the second half. Baylor is up 10 on Texas. A lot of basketball to play that game. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll kind of check in on that a little bit later. But let's say this. If Texas happens to win this game, that puts them at 6-2. and two. Baylor would be at 8-1. and one. That would at least, for now, solidify second place for Texas. There's still a lot of games to be played. But nevertheless, that kind of helps to flesh out those top two seeds going into the Big 12 tournament, and then three through everybody else. There's still a dogfight. There's still some, some not, not a lot of separation between those two, between those teams. Um, on the women's side, <laughs> last night, big game between number four NC State and number one Louisville. And with the return of Alyssa Kunane, uh, Kunan, rather, uh, from COVID-19 protocol, um, she scores 16 points, six rebounds. NC State beats Louisville by 14. So um, that is a nice win for NC State. They bounced back from a loss uh, to Virginia Tech last week. Dana Evans led Louisville with 29. So um, NC State is starting to get back to who they were as a team. With Kanan in the lineup, they only allow teams to score about 58.8 points per game. So with that 60 points, that's kind of right in the neighborhood. So now it's a question of can NC State kind of pick up that momentum and keep it going uh, through the rest of the ACC season and into the tournament. Um, so with the top uh, top 10 here, 
uh, number one, Louisville. So they'll more likely drop next week. Uh, South Carolina, UConn, NC State, and, and UCLA. So what I suspect will happen, and I'll kind of go through this in a minute, the two through four currently, South Carolina, UConn, and NC State will be one, two, three in that order next week. Um, Stanford, six. A&M, Texas A&M at seven. Baylor at eight. Arizona at nine. And Maryland is 10th. Number nine, Arizona is currently on pause due to COVID protocol. They are scheduled to go to Oregon Friday to play the Beavers of Oregon State. And they'll play Oregon on Monday. That'll be the return game. So that, as you remember, uh, Arizona uh, just laid the wood on the, the Lady Ducks um, in Tucson uh, a few weeks ago. Oregon is currently on pause due to COVID protocol. So hopefully those games will be on slate uh, shortly. So as I mentioned, South Carolina, UConn, and NC State will probably be one, two, three next week. So let's look at what's on slate for them. South Carolina goes to Auburn on Thursday. Now, again, the SEC is looking very good. Auburn is not doing that great this season, but anything can happen on any given night. So if South Carolina wins on Thursday night, UConn is home uh, for St. John's on Wednesday. They will go to Marquette on Friday. So if they survive those wins, which they should, uh, we are looking at a one-two matchup, and I believe they'll be on Fox Sports one Monday night, where South Carolina will visit Gamble Pavilion as the number one team, and UConn will be number two. And you can hear it. I can hear Gino Oriama rubbing his hands together from here. He is waiting. He is chomping at the bit. But again, one game at a time. I know Don Staley is saying that to her team. And obviously, Gene Orem is saying it to his team one game at a time because this is going to be um, one of the better matchups in on the women's side coming up next week. Um, so let's switch gears here. Let's talk a little bit about the NFL. Um, so as you heard, Matthew Stafford was traded to the L.A. Rams. Jared Goff was traded to the, the Detroit Lions. So this is the first exchange of number one overall picks in the common draft era. So the common draft era started in like 1967, somewhere around there. Um, so we got an age difference between the two of six years. Stafford is 32. Golf is 26. So in addition, Detroit gets a third round pick this year, a first round pick in 2022 and a first round pick in 2023. The deal will not become official until St. Patrick's Day. So it's going to be interesting to see how this works out. I mean, uh, the Rams get a seasoned veteran um, golf, um, you know, been playing, you know, for fairly well for the Rams. So it's just a matter of, you know, how each one will fit into each system. Um, but again, we'll have plenty of time to analyze this. But so far, that has been one of the bigger deals Um of the NFL season, but, but we're all waiting for uh post-Super Bowl where post-Super Bowl, we know that there'll be a lot of free agent moves. And, you know, we talked last show about Phillip Rivers retiring. So are there other players considering retirement, you know, players on the move, so on and so forth. So we'll see how that's going to go. Um, speaking of the Super Bowl, so the current spread, the spread is still three uh, minus three for Kansas City. Um, but in this matchup, you've got what I, you know, the goat, everyone calls him the goat. I'm saying the old goat at this point versus the new goat. And, uh, so that would be Tom Brady versus Patrick Mahomes. 
And, you know, there was an article the other day that said, you know, Brady is going to keep playing. And I'm just amazed. This guy just does not want to just walk away from this thing. And that's good and that's bad because it's good because you like to see an athlete have such a, you know, a competitive edge that he just wants to keep at it and be on top of his game. I don't have a problem with that. But at some point, you know, father time tends to have this way. I mean, I know he's a well-tuned athlete. He's different than the average armchair quarterback that most of us are. But, you know, father time catches up with you. It, you know, it doesn't matter how much you do. Father time catches up. And in this catch up, I'm wondering, you know, will that show in some way? I mean, because he's willed this team to 11 to 5 record, they're in the Super Bowl. You ask yourself, you know, is there really going to be some moment where either you're going to start to see the the, the deficit? Um, will it just happen slowly? Will it be all of a sudden some event happens and you just see, you know, his status go from great to mud all in make a sequence of plays i mean it's it's we don't know it's hard to say but evidently he knows something that we don't because if he's going to continue playing i think he said past 45 i, I mean again i i'm i'm all of i'm all of about hey if he goes out and win this thing sunday walk away i mean you've got rings for both hands dude it's like maybe the question that i would like someone to ask him and maybe someone has asked him and i missed it but what are you trying to prove like what do you see yourself getting out of this that you're going to keep going you know so he's in a great situation in tampa bay he's obviously going to be there that's probably where he's going to retire retire i mean you know you could go out on that field and, you know, you've got great protection around you, but, you know, the wrong thing happens, man. You could end up, you know, broken ribs, neck injury, leg injury, worse. I mean, you know, I mean, you know, that's the one thing that you have to be impressed about with Brady that, you know, he's definitely got the protection. There's no question about that. But what happens if that protection ever breaks down or you get the right moment in the right play and you get a beat on him? And you come through that line full head of steam, it's all over. I mean, not in a bad way, but I mean, you see in that moment when I'm talking about that, you know, you're on top of the world and then it just goes right to zero in in just a blink of an eye. And who wants to take that risk? What athlete wants to take that risk? I mean, every risk is different in every sport, but at a certain point, you kind of have to look at yourself and say, you know, it's not like Tom Brady's some guy that's been competing for years and never got the Super Bowl. And, you know, he's still there taking a beating for no reason. I mean, dude, as I said in the last show, you are without question. When your name comes up on the first Hall of Fame ballot that you're eligible for, you're, he's getting in. I mean, if he doesn't get in, I'm not the biggest Tom Brady fan, but if he doesn't get in, I will raise hell because He's deserved. He's more than deserved it. So, dude, unless he has nothing to do, I mean, <laughs> maybe that's it. Maybe he doesn't want to go home, and be with his wife and kids. I don't know. You know, everyone's different. We all got that one person that we know that's just a workaholic that, you know, it's, hey, you can go home and relax and or it's the weekend and they'd rather work. I'm going, 
so are, is everything okay at home? I mean, are you good? And maybe that's his it. Maybe he just likes to play because he's got nothing else going on, which sounds weird to me, but there you are. All right, so when we come back, we'll talk a little bit of college football. And then um, we're going to actually, oh, you know what? Before I break, Eric Bieniemy. I do want to talk about Eric Bieniemy. So Eric Bieniemy, um, the OC of the Chiefs, still no head coaching job. And I, I'm really trying to understand what's happening here. Because if you look at what he has accomplished at Kansas City. Now, here's the thing. Maybe, you know, with him not getting a job, he gets another year to make this offense great again or even greater. But what is the problem? Like, how is it that Eric Bieniemy still is an offensive coordinator? Why is he not leading leading a team? Like, what is the NFL? What are these NFL teams seeing, or what are these GMs doing that they're either saying, "Okay, we're interviewing him and we like him, okay, but we rather go in this direction," because um, he was scheduled to have a second interview with Houston. And then Houston ended up hiring David Culley. Fine. And that's a plus because, you know, David Culley, black head coach. Okay, everyone's happy about that. But it just seems to be the just the conspiracy of the century that Eric Bieniemy is still out here with no head coaching job. He is probably one of the better OC prospects out here, one of the coordinator prospects. I don't say OC, but coordinator prospects who isn't working as a head coach. I mean, you know, he's working for Andy Reid, who, you know, want, you know, once Andy Reid won the Super Bowl last year, everyone, including myself, was extremely just happy that he finally won because, you know, it looked like time was passing him by. It looks like he might get another one in here. And from what I understand, it seems like Andy Reid, he's not going to go anywhere anytime soon, and that's good for him. Dude, you finally uh, got the formula down. The golden egg is there. Dude, ride this wave until you can't ride it anymore. Now, now I just finished talking about Tom Brady, but th that's a whole different story. Tom Brady has ridden the wave. The wave has come back. He's riding it again. He's hoping the wave will hit one more time. Will the wave hit one more time? We don't know. But Reed, Reed is on the wave. The wave is still going. Here's the difference. The wave is still going. And he's going to keep riding, riding, riding until the wave dies out. If he keeps that team together... Uh, Patrick Mahomes says he's healthy, the wave is going to keep going. And again, Reed, as long as I figure, Andy Reed is probably figuring as long as I'm healthy, as long as I am loving this game and wanting to coach, he's going to keep coaching. And you cannot blame him for that. But it just bothers me that Eric Bieniemy still doesn't have a job. And the NFL, to me, just seems to have this um, very, I don't know, I don't want to say dismissive, but they, you know, just the way that they are trying to quote, make it equitable for more black coaches to get jobs. I, I just don't like the way that they are going about it. And there's just other things, other, uh, forces that are at play here. Uh, for example, you have, you know, GMs who hire their friends or, You've got GMs that hire coaches. The coaches will hire their family members. So, you know, we talk about this good old boy network. 
that exists in life. But the NFL, to me, is this microcosm of that, that you've got this small group of, you know, the small group of teams. And within those small group of teams, people know each other and they tend to look out for each other. And maybe that's just it. I don't know. But I just still think it's criminal that Eric Bieniemy is not working. He himself has said, you know, I'm not going to wallow in this. And he's right. He shouldn't. Um, he has a, you know, a Super Bowl to get ready for, you know, get another ring here. Hey, do do you think, my brother? But there's got to be something. There's something that's just happening. And I don't know what it is, but it's very bothersome that he still is not a head coach in this league. OK, I wanted to get off my chest. Now, we'll take a break, come back. We'll talk some college football, a few notes from college football, and then I want to talk about gaming. That's the first for the show. But I saw this article and I'm going, are you kidding me? Because I haven't had a gaming system in years. I still have an old one, but, you know, now I'm kind of like, hmm, should I invest? Because there's something that's coming and it hasn't been around in a while. And I'm totally excited about it. Stay tuned. All right, welcome back. So college football, some news and notes here. So uh, National Signing Day is tomorrow. Um, so I'm going to do some research, see, you know, where teams stand on that. So we had early signing period, um, you know, as ESPN always does, they always look at, you know, who are the big winners from early signing period. Um, so I didn't get a chance to look at, you know, where the current rankings are with recruiting. But National Signing Day will kind of put the whole recruiting uh, spec, uh, the whole recruiting landscape into perspective. And so we'll have an idea of, you know, where everyone is. But what you can expect typically is teams like Alabama, teams like, you know, Ohio State, uh, Clemson. Those will be the three teams that will, you know, either that will bolster their rosters in some way. Um, and then it'll be interesting to see how other teams fare, teams like you know, UNC, a team that looks like it's on the cusp of being a national contender um, that can give, you know, Clemson some competition, although they are in opposite divisions. But I don't know if they play the season. I feel like they may not. I think they played the last two seasons. I figure I think it's either two or three seasons. So if it's three seasons, they probably will play again. Nevertheless, um, there's opportunity for them to play in the ACC championship game if all of it uh, flushes out um, the ACC announced their schedule. They're back to divisional play. So as I mentioned, Notre Dame is on the outs again. They're going to be, you know, you know, they're going to be part time members. Don't get me started on that again. But to see how Notre Dame does, um, then looking at teams that are trying to bounce back. So teams like UCLA with Chip Kelly, Michigan, how is Michigan going to fare now that uh, uh, Jim Harbaugh is, you know, back in the fold for another season, um, can they bounce back from this horrific season? So it's going to see, it's going to give us a feel for where all the teams stand. And then that probably will have some bearing on the not so early top 25, not, not that it really means anything, but, you know, it kind of changes the landscape, you know, what players are returning, how the freshmen will impact uh, these teams, because a lot of times you know, with spring with spring ball coming up soon, a lot of these young men will are able to if they graduate early, they can get on campus early. They can start their training um, early with the team and hopefully they can you know break into the roster uh, and make an impact. Um, 
So we'll kind of look at all that stuff, uh, hopefully later in the week or early next week. Um, some news and notes from college football. Um, so we have two prominent uh, former players um, that are returning to their alma maters. Uh, first of all, Vince Young. Vince Young is returning to Texas as a special assistant in the athletic department. So if you recall, this is his second go round with the athletics department. He was fired from Texas in 2019. So he wasn't showing up for work. He wasn't talking to his supervisors, just a whole string of issues got him fired. So he'll be back as a special assistant as Steve Sarkeesian begins his uh his um time at the, at the uh at University of Texas if you recall Vince Young was the quarterback for the 2005 national championship team in their win against USC so we uh had that miraculous that miraculous I'm gonna say miraculous it was just this fantastic run because you know we all know VY had had the wheels got the wheels but he made that nice run towards the corner of the end zone and uh, and we all know who the coach was there. Speaking of UNC, uh, old Mac Brown, aka I call him Mac Breezy, uh, was the coach then. And so Texas, as we know, is trying to uh, bring back those glory days and try to uh, reclaim uh, some, try to reclaim the Big Twelve, and then uh, win national championships. So the first one they'll could potentially win in sixteen years. Uh, Teddy Bruschi, he will return to Arizona as a senior advisor to the new head coach, Jed Fish. So Jed Fish, I believe he was with New England. So he was hired as the head coach. Uh, He has some experience on the West Coast, so he knows the uh, Arizona, California. He knows that territory. So he's kind of got some some inroads in recruiting. But Bruschi will help with, um, you know, social justice, justice initiatives, uh, player development. He's going to kind of advise on those things and he'll be part of the the football management committee at Arizona. So Teddy Bruschi is a highly decorated uh, former Arizona player. He was a two-time consensus All-American. He was the Pac-12 Defensive Player of the Year during his tenure. So he was there from 92 to 95. Uh, he played 13 years in the NFL. He was a three-time Super Bowl winner with the with New England. And after retirement, he, was, he spent some time at ESPN as an NFL analyst. So um, I'm sure that everyone's excited to have Teddy Bruschi back on campus and I'm sure they'll make a big impact because, you know, he, you know, he's, I think he's one of the players that is very synonymous to that program. And and I remember watching Teddy Bruschi play man. Oh man. I mean, you saw him in the, in the NFL, but I mean, he was just, he was just a beast when he was in college. So NFL, he was great but he was really just off the rails in college and he was just destroying guys. And, uh, and, and that's fantastic to see him back on campus at Arizona. Um, uh, one other thing, former Michigan offensive coordinator, Mike DeBond, he's heading to Kansas. So he has a relationship with Les Miles. Uh, they worked together at Michigan in the early nineties. And he also has a relationship with current uh, Kansas athletic director Jeff Long. Uh, at the time, Jeff Long was an associate athletic director at Michigan. Um, DeBond it was the offensive coordinator for the 97 Michigan team, which won the national championship. So again, um, hopefully that will help at Kansas. I don't know much about DeBond beyond that, but I mean, considering, um, you know, when Les Miles was hired, there was a lot of excitement, a lot of hullabaloo, the season started off fairly well, didn't go great. Then there was, you know, a lot of good, you know, they did a lot of good recruiting that first year, but a lot of guys left the program. 
Um, so they're just trying to get a spark at Kansas because, I mean, that's a, a, a program that's really hasn't had a lot of good days in a number of years. So um, we hope that that works out for less miles at Kansas. Um, so as I mentioned, um, this story got past me because I mentioned uh, a couple episodes ago the um, the firing of uh Jeremy Pruitt at Tennessee for cause due to some recruiting violations, uh, well, number of violations, recruiting and such. Um, so Danny White was hired as the athletic director. He is the son of Kevin White, who is the current outgoing uh, athletic director at Duke. So he'll be retiring uh, in the summer, I believe. Um, and if I may say so, um, here's my plug. Um, Duke. If you're listening, which you probably aren't, but I would suggest that you make Nina King, who is currently uh, associate uh, senior social athletic director. Uh, I would suggest you make her your new AD. She's in house um, black woman. Just my just my two cents. Then you have two black women running uh, athletic programs in the ACC. Just a suggestion. But, you know, never mind. Back to back to where you were. Anyway, Danny White was hired by Tennessee as the new athletic director. He's the former AD at University of Central Florida, and it didn't take him long to find a replacement for Jeremy Pruitt. He hired UCF's head coach, Josh Heupel. So Josh Heupel heads to Tennessee. He gets a six-year contract for $4 million per year. Now, due to Tennessee's possible sanctions that are coming from the NCAA, if the sanctions come up, and if I believe, if I recall correctly, if they are two years or more, Hypo will get an extra year tacked on to his contract. So he has potential for a seven-year contract if the sanctions come down from the NCAA. Um, so Hypo, uh, as a coach, he's 28 and 8 in three years at UCF. So great record. He took over for Scott Frost, who put that program on the map because I think I knew UCF had a football program, but Outside of Orlando, I don't I didn't know much about it. And if you were in Orlando, you were familiar with the program. But Scott Frost put them on the map. They were one of the group of five teams that, you know, every year they come out. They're strong. They're undefeated. They're killing it. And most of their fans are like, we want Alabama. And I'm going, no, you don't. However, I appreciate the sentiment because, hey, y'all are playing some good football. I get it. Um, but Scott Frost left. He went to Nebraska to try to resurrect his alma mater's program. Um, so in his first season, Hypo went 12 and one. They went six and four this year. Um, so uh, and as you remember, uh, Mackenzie Milton, who played for Central Florida, he had that horrific leg injury. Um, he has come back but he uh, left. He's uh, he transferred to Florida State. So he'll be playing at FSU next year. Um now, in all of this, Hypo will owe Central Florida $3.4 million in his buyout. So more than likely what will happen, my guess is Tennessee will say, OK, well, you know, here's some of it or whatever. But anyway, Hypo owes UCF money from his contract uh, buyout. Um, but in hiring him, they get a coach who led a team that was in the top eight in scoring offense. Um, they scored roughly about 42.2 points per game during his uh, three-year tenure. Um, so 
Heupel has a lot of experience as a coach. So he was the OC and quarterback coach at Missouri. He was the co-offensive coordinator at Oklahoma under Bob Stoops for four years. He was fired at the end of the 2014 season when Oklahoma went eight and five. As a player, remember, he led Oklahoma to the 2000 National Championship and he was runner up in Heisman that season. So for Tennessee, this is their sixth different head coach since 2008. So in 2008, they fired then head coach, soon to be um, athletic director Phil Fulmer. Phil Fulmer just retired. Danny White takes over him. So six coaches in 13 years. Mm, bad look. So with Hypel, I think they made a great hire. I think this is a home run hire. This is you would you you would wonder if I don't know what happened. Like the, the last hire was a nightmare. I don't know. I feel like the last two or three hires at Tennessee were just nightmares. Like it, it had it's gone down, it went downhill ever since uh Lane Kiffin left town, and we all know how that went down. And speaking of which. Lane Kiffin will be back in, in Knoxville this upcoming season. He'll bring Ole Miss to town. You know it's going to be fun. Now, I think by now, most of the Tennessee fans aren't as salty about him leaving. I, I think there's still a few who's going to let him give him the business. But Kiffin, he, he, you know, Lane Kiffin lets a lot of stuff roll off his back. And he does so more so nowadays because at this point, if you've had Nick Saban screaming in your face, not much is going to bother you. And he's learned a lot. He's you know gotten more savvy as you know as a communicator, as a coach. Like I said, he he still has a Twitter account. He still does his thing on Twitter. But I think he's matured. It, it would appear so. And I and I'm sure that he will make light of the trip to Knoxville in some way. Um, when it happens uh, next this upcoming season. So it's going to be interesting to see how all that's going to go down for Lane Kiffin. All right. So the last thing. So let's talk about gaming. And I, you know, I'm, I'll be the first one to tell you, I have owned a few game systems in my life. And, and I'm not even going to tell you the first one I had, because when I tell you the first one I had, you're going to be like, how old are you? I'm, I'm kind of old. I'm not going to lie. I'm kind of old. But when I look at, you know, when I remember when the, uh, the Xbox came out and, um, you know, Xbox and uh, PS, the new PlayStation, I was like, wow, these are these are pretty dope. And they keep, you know, having new iterations. So, again, you know, you see if you're on Twitter, you see all the talk about, you know, so what you're trying to do for PS5, that sort of thing. <laughs> and it's funny because, you know, it's like, I'll be real with you. I mean, it's expensive as hell. Now, I ain't doing done for it but i'm thinking man i bet those graphics are pretty hot so me i've always been one of those type of gamers that you know when i played games i was about sports and i played action that's about it you know you got people that play you know these fantasy games whatever you're into that's cool i, I don't you know if you if you do it you do it but you know i've always looked at you know the the fifa games were cool uh nhl games were great um I never played the MLB games, or maybe I played them a couple times, but nevertheless, you know, you can imagine the iteration and graphics. The graphics are just so, so great now. It's like you're actually watching a baseball game or hockey game on TV. But the one thing that's been missing, oh, and you know what? 
I'll go and tell you this much. I um I have a Wii. So I had a Wii from several years ago. I still have it. I pulled it out. You know, I got a kid and we're playing the Wii together. Now remember, I've got Tiger Woods golf. And I used to kill the game, destroy it. I'm at this point in that game, I'm basically I've won the Masters like six times and all this other whatever. So pull it out of the day, I realize I can still hit the ball, can't put worth squat. It's it's whatever. I gotta practice. I haven't played in years. But there's one game that I missed because I had it on the Wii and I would destroy it, killed it. The the the, the college football. The, the EA Sports College Football. Now, with all the things with NIL, name, image, and likeness, and, you know, players not getting paid, and you can't identify players. I mean, you know who the players were by their numbers, but you couldn't identify them. EA Sports hasn't made that game since 2013, okay? They have, they're talking, there's, there's rumblings that EA Sports is going to bring that game back. I saw this article, I was like, oh! maybe this is a reason to get a gaming system i mean for one game i mean that that sounds ridiculous but i was i was hella excited okay um so right now there's no official return date there's no official announcement yet they're talking about it they're in the process of getting it together so one of the first things ea did is they're partnering partnering with collegiate licensing company and they're doing that to ensure that there's authenticity. So they're going to have roughly over 100 teams. They want to make sure that they got the playbooks for these teams, their likenesses, their uniforms, traditions. They want to get all this stuff down. And I think the last version of it I have, they were really good at it because you hear the theme songs. Um, if you play like, for example, think of Tennessee. If you play at Neyland Stadium, you're, you're, you're playing, you're looking at the end zone. You see what? The checkered end zone. You see the orange and white. OK, so everything was pretty authentic so imagine playing this game and you see Neyland Stadium I'll use Neyland again because you know big stadium very you know iconic stadium um and you see you know the the red and uh, I'm sorry the orange and white checker but I'm willing to bet you they'll do the pregame stuff so the band comes out and they make the tea and the players come out come down the tea that kind of stuff or they play Rocky Top I mean Rocky Top, Rocky Top is a pretty hot theme song, um, uh, a fight song in my opinion. I like Rocky Top. I, I had to, I listened to it a few times and I, um, you know, learned the words. I was like, well, it's kind of, kind of dope. Anyway, but anyway, um, so um, they're going to actually start working on this game. They said they're going to move forward and obviously they can't move forward without um, they can move forward, but they can't use the current rosters. That's cool. Um, and of course, that's due to NCAA rules. As we know, there are rule changes coming. So in two episodes, I talked about name, image, and likeness, what we call the NIL bill. So in episode 25, I talked about the genesis of the NIL legislation. It started with a meeting with Jay Billis and a representative from North Carolina. So if you kind of want to get the gist of it, go back to episode 25, check it out. It just kind of gives you you know, kind of a little bit of the background and the why and the what is happening and some of the issues with that. Um, episode 34, I announced that there was a bill that had been introduced in the House of Representatives. So it was a bipartisan bill, which is great. At that time, as we know, the House of Representatives was democratically controlled more so than it is now, but it's still in democratic control. But 
at the end of the episode, I did talk about the importance of voting. That was back in September, because as I said, if you really want to see change, so change like ensuring that these players, these college athletes can get paid off a of name, image and likeness that sure pass house representatives with no problem but it would never get to the senate you had multiple senators who said that they oppose this bill for some of the most ridiculous reasons ever i mean kind of like tim tebow saying that oh i think name image and likeness is a that's silly that's a silly idea dude you're rich no one cares what you think okay but um the nil legislation the nil legislation has been introduced Shortly after this announcement from EA Sports, Senator Chris Murphy of, of Connecticut, he's a Democrat, he said he will introduce legislation to, quote, to help players finally profit off of their talent so they don't need to be, uh, they don't need to face continued mistreatment like this, end quote. So this is powerful. In the House, there's a bill. There will soon be a bill in the Senate. So one way or the other, we, we talked about this NIL bill, whether through the NCAA, states like California have passed NIL bills, and the NCAA has worked continuously to lobby against this. So it, so hopefully federal legislation will make this possible. So by having two bills working through both chambers at the same time, as and, and if you remember how the government works, because most people don't <laughs> look at where we are politically, um, you know, we'll see. Hopefully the bills will pass. They'll come to committee. They'll iron it out. And hopefully we'll have a bill that everyone, both sides can agree on and it can get signed by President Biden. And these players can finally get the compensation that they deserve. Because as I talked about, think about the billions of dollars that are generated by these colleges and these kids can't get. I mean, they get a little bit, you know, people say, oh, well, you get to go to college, you get a scholarship and you get some money and blah, blah, blah. But that's nothing. I mean, you know, these kids are, you know, many of them are in the situation. They're playing a sport. They're trying to get a degree, but they can't, a lot of, they can't eat. They can't live like college students, but somebody can go down to the bookstore and buy their Jersey for $70 and they won't see a cent of it. That's wrong. But who gets the money? The colleges. So the apparel makers, the coaches, the university, the administration, but these kids don't see one red cent from it. And that's wrong. So I'm all for this bill. I think it, you know, it doesn't cloud the, it doesn't cloud uh, amateurism. You know, people, that's the big argument. Oh, it turns it into professionalism. No, it does not. Professionalism is when you're making a salary, which these kids are not. You know, if you're playing football or basketball at a high level and you get drafted or you get you know picked up by a team and they'll say, you know, we'll give you, you know, 10 million dollars a year to play this sport. They're paying you plus you're getting that money. These kids aren't getting any of that. So professionalism is not even anywhere in this conversation. So I'm all for this NIL bill voting works. I mean, we can argue all day long how it does and how it doesn't. But in this situation, it got us to a point to where we've got two sides of a bicameral body that are 
looking to do the same things. They're going to introduce individual bills. So hopefully Chris Murphy will introduce his bill sometime soon. And with that happening, um, you know, said so we hope to see some reform on that side soon. So, you know, and it's going to be interesting to see how the NCAA responds to this. I don't know if they have anything to say or will they issue a statement, but I'm sure that this will be talked about for some time now, um, not just the game, but the actual um, trying to uh, create this bill so these kids can get paid. All right. So that's all I have. Uh, thank you for listening. Appreciate your time. Um, hopefully I'll be back at you later on in the week. I'll talk a little Super Bowl again, but I shall make my predictions this time. Not gonna make, I was going to make the prediction last week. I said, wait, you got a week. Why, why are you going to do that now? So why rush this? Um, so until then, um, thank you for listening to the episode. Check out old episodes. Uh, please rate, subscribe, review. Um, you know, hit me up on Twitter. It's Uncle Dub, I-T-S-U-N-C-L-E underscore D-U-B. I'm also on Instagram. Until then, I appreciate your time and I'll talk to you shortly. Thank you.